The In-Depth Podcast with Richard Harding. Welcome along to the first In-Depth Podcast of 2020. And my guest is the CEO of Condor Ferries, Paul Luxon. Welcome along. Good morning, Richard, and a happy new year to your, to your listeners too. Thank you very much. Now, first up, can you tell us a bit about your career before you went into uh, Condor Ferries? So a real potted history. So um, although not actually born in Guernsey, my father's a Guernsey and my mum came from uh, Northumberland. So uh, I was actually born in England um, you know, for my sins, but uh, we moved, uh, the family moved back to Guernsey and uh, our family home was down the track. Um, uh, so watching the annual, uh, every other year, Marassi's down there was great fun. Um, I then went off and was going uh, to be a PE teacher. That's what I w- wanted to do. I, I've always loved sport uh, and, I, and I really enjoyed the aspect of either coaching or teaching. Um, but I became a squash professional. Um, not that I'd made any money from playing. I wasn't that good, but um, but I was a county standard player. But I, I, I liked the uh, professional coaching part of it. Was lucky enough to coach some of the England squads, junior squads. So that was my first job, was um, uh, uh, working in squash clubs and as a squash professional. And then uh, eventually um, I moved back to Guernsey in about 1990 um, and worked with um, a, a local company, uh, J.J. Fox, Wilkinson's, who were uh, importers of various products, tobacco, which, of course, um, it, you know, it, it has its problems these days, um, uh, and various other other, other uh, uh, business opportunities. And then, latterly, uh, I was recruited to go and run uh, the LaRiche Group companies. Anything that wasn't retail or property, then I would, I would end up looking after. So wholesale, distribution, those sorts of things. Um, and was there until... Uh, that company merged with Ann Street, uh, Buck Trout's Ann Street and LaRiche merged, uh, become CI Traders, and then eventually CI Traders was acquired in a private equity deal and is now named Sandpiper, but is now really just uh, focused on retail and, and the, the, the very broad group ended up being sort of broken broken off and, and split up. Um, so that was pretty much what I was doing before uh, I went into the, the states uh, of Guernsey for four years. I always, it was a natural break it, point in my career, so having had a natural interest in, in our politics and our island, um, I decided, um, I'm not sure my wife and family were uh, over, overwhelmed with the decision positively, but, um, but I decided to stand for four years and try and see if um, somebody with a general business background might be able to contribute something towards trying to get an economic business plan for the states of Guernsey. Um, being a government's not just about uh, providing the essential social services it also has to stimulate and enable the economy to to generate the the funds to be able to do those things so i just felt that perhaps there was a, a gap and a space uh, and there needed to be a kickstart so i did that for those four years um, it felt like 10 years the four years felt like 10 years it was very slow uh, it was very very difficult very challenging and um and i have to say uh, uh, at the end of it I was pleased I did it, but probably realised that I probably shouldn't have done it in the sense that there's a real price you pay to actually stand as a deputy in Guernsey. And uh, many of your other uh, guests will, will, will share that with you, I'm sure. Uh, and then I joined, uh, came out of the, the States in uh, May 2016 after my four-year term. I always said I would do one year, one term. Um, and uh, and then was um, uh, approached to, uh, to, to run Condor Ferries and was appointed as CEO back in uh, uh, May May 2016. So I've been there just over three and a half years. What lessons do you think the states can learn from the business world? And you know, is there anything you've learned as a minister in the states that's changed your business approach? When you stand in an election in Guernsey, you suddenly realise this is more than just standing in an election. You realise that actually it's 
very important and you know you have to engage with the people so the whole canvassing bit and whatever is is very difficult the first lesson i i, I had was you actually go to your district back then it was seven districts the southeast where i lived st martin's uh, st andrews you go to those two parishes and you say to the people please give me your vote i'd like to stand and you try and engage with uh, the electorate uh, in terms of what you think might interest those two parishes but also your broader views on on, on wider issues and if you're lucky enough to be elected and, and i was and i thank the people of st martin's and st andrews for um giving me their trust the very first thing you do once you're elected, having engaged with those um, uh, 2,200 people in those two parishes, the first thing you do is you go into the royal court and you actually swear an oath to do, uh, and this is, I'm paraphrasing, uh, to do everything that you can in the best long-term interests of the people of Guernsey, not in the best long-term interests of the people of St. Martin's and St. Andrews. The minute that you get elected, you find yourself with a, an absolute almost contradiction or hypocrisy that... The promise that you made to the people of the parishes gets superseded slightly if if you keep to the 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 the, 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 um, yeah, the principle of it that you have to actually do things for the greater good of the island, which might not necessarily be what the people of the parish of St Martin's and St Andrews wanted. And I found to my you know, difficulty and cost some some time during the, the later that um, that 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 was a real dilemma, which we we may or may not touch on on later. So I, I found moving from business into uh, the states of Guernsey, that uh, it, it isn't things aren't always as easy as you might think, and that you can't just apply good principles, best practice, or uh, successful experiences you've had in one one sector or in one genre, the private sector, business sector. I owned uh, some small businesses myself. I was self-employed as a squash professional. I, I was then corporately employed as a senior manager and then director. So across all those mixes. It's more difficult, and just because you're good in one area, it doesn't mean remote that you'll be any good in another area. And if I read things on social media and uh, and the like, I know some people, I'm not their cup of tea. The four years of, as a deputy found very frustrating, very difficult, but nevertheless incredibly insightful, humbling, and you get a chance to you know, make a difference, uh, if that's important. Um, and then coming back out, I'm able to reflect now on um, my, my career as a businessman, uh, then uh, uh, standing for the states and taking on the Ministry of PSD and then HSSD, which was a big challenge, uh, doing my work with the uh, Chamber of Commerce and IOD, but then coming back out into commerce, what it's done, it's given me, I think, a very privileged and lucky insight into each of those, how those different strands uh, of life in Guernsey work. So whether or not I, that I, I make full use of it, but I, I do feel that I'm lucky that I, I've, I've experienced those things. So I try and use that to help me make as best decisions as I can. And Condor, of course, although it's not regulated, it is a, an essential lifeline infrastructure service uh, delivery uh, business. So privately owned, but nevertheless offering, offering a really important service to the island. So, so that's kind of halfway between business and politics if you like or government so going from the states to Commonwealth ferries maybe a bit like going out of the frying pan into the fire the liberation had a, a very rocky start in terms of reliability so what do you say to those that uh, say that the, the vessel isn't so suited to the local waters liberation uh, uh the the vessel Austal uh, 102 um was a new design was a new design generally, uh, but was designed by one of the two global leading high-speed craft uh, builders, uh, 
no question about that. So this wasn't sort of going to the east end of London and buying a, a ship underneath the arches. This was a vessel that was designed by one of the two leading uh, 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 high-speed craft uh, builders around the world. Uh, so it was a hybrid, and uh, it was absolutely introduced into service in 2015 badly. Uh, what the comp company didn't do, it didn't, not not through any intention, but it was it was clumsy or accident prone in how it uh, introduced it into service. First reason, not enough sea trial time, not enough port trial time. Uh, a new vessel, very different design to the Incats, Rapide, Vitesse Express, you know, still high speed, but very different. And the the masters, the captains, weren't given enough time, not from a safety point of view, but from a practical point of view, because we've got complicated ports. They're very small. They're surrounded by granite. They often don't have water in them. Tidally affected. Mm. Especially, uh, Jersey, especially Jersey. Yeah. Especially Jersey. Yes. Uh, fine. <laughs> it's all their from, fault. Yeah. Apart, apart from on real, real sort of strong uh, spring tides, you know, Guernsey's pretty much okay. But nevertheless, uh, and... Everybody was really excited about this big investment and this wonderful new ship. And it does look wonderful, both from you know the shore as you watch her majestically appear into the port, or indeed when you're uh, boarding her or when you're on her. You know, people can say what they want, but those things factually are correct. Um, your question about reliability, which I, I, I will get to very quickly. So um, it was done in a uh, with good intentions, but rushed. But it was overhyped as well. You know, it would sail in five meter seas. So, fact for your listeners: all high speed craft are limited to three point five meter wave heights. It, you know, whoever you are, Liberation's design is such that she is able to sail in seas up to five meters, and we could get approval from the MCA to sail. Now, the trouble is that the Condor, the company, sort of you know talked about how she'd be able to operate. The trouble is, in five-meter uh, uh, wave height seas, almost certainly the weather conditions are going to be such that when you got to Guernsey or Jersey, you wouldn't be able to get the ship into the port because the the weather conditions. So there was an element of, and I've been honest, yeah, you know, when I've been asked this question before, introducing Liberation into service in 2015 didn't go very well. It wasn't. We will definitely introduce our next vessel into service in a very careful and considerate way to make sure that we make no mistakes, that we've learnt from that. And of course, for that first 18 months, there was all sorts of problems. Kissing the key in Guernsey on day two, just before Easter, just before a later Easter, so a busy Easter, uh, with double, double rotation sailings, hundreds and thousands of, of passengers, and we kissed the key, a complete unfortunate mishap, which means that she has to come out of service for, I think, I wasn't there then, but for three or four days, caused a whole lot of problems. Um, but natural fact, and this is where some of your listeners will say, oh, he's got his head in the clouds or buried. Uh, her reliability is actually as good as any of our other vessels, in, including Rapid, now. But I accept, Richard, that there is a residual negativity from some people, perception around her suitability or reliability for the northern route. I do understand it, but it's simply not true. When you're next on Liberation, I'll arrange a bridge visit for you, as I do for many other people. You'll speak to the master, the captain, and the bridge. They will tell you what they told me, that they love uh, driving Liberation. They think that Liberation is far, far easier to handle and much more appropriate for this you know, very difficult northern channel route that we operate compared to the 82s, the Vitesse Express and Rapide. It's a perception thing now, and I've got to earn, and we've got to earn by by delivering a very seamless service we've got to earn the the, the respect of the people that are negative to ch change their mind to be open-minded now that's 
a long-term task, but I'm prepared to take it. It had a very difficult start. So how do you go about restoring the reputation? Because the slogan, Condor Ferry, is good times. Many people weren't having a good time. Yes. Uh, so again, it's a very fair point, so I'll, and I'll be shorter with my answer this time. So the answer is two things. One, you have to deal with whatever it was that was creating the uh, reliability issues. And we've done that. We're spending between seven and eight million pounds a year every year on what we call our asset health program. And that means a proactive diagnostic checking and maintenance regime to try and make sure that we, we almost pre-guess where things might go wrong. So we're doing that. And we're going to do that forever. And my, my shareholder, my board supported the management proposal around that. And when I, it, it was put in place before I got there and I elevated it to a, a higher level. So we're, we're, we're investing more in looking after not just liberation but all of the fleet and that will carry on that's a lot of money seven million pounds a year and that's the run rate that, that we invest so you do that um, you then obviously make any refinements and improvements you can to the vessel now i'd like to put a fourth engine on her i'd like to put an additional bow thruster on her but of course doing all those things will add weight and the whole thing it, it, the, the clue is in the name hsc high speed craft if you put lots of weight onto a high-speed craft, it becomes a not-so-high-speed craft. So it isn't always easy. So the first thing is fix whatever that was the issue was around reliability. And I believe, truly, that we have significantly, if not materially, completed that. It doesn't mean to say there aren't still some things that we, we, we've got to do, and, and we are going to do them. The second bit is, is about how do you regain confidence or repair reputation. The answer is that takes a lot longer. I wish I could bottle positively for this particular question you've asked me social media so that i could use it for the wonderful good it could do in terms of um, engaging constructively and positively about uh, why the perception or the lack of confidence isn't well placed that the people that were let down and that we did sort of have to move their their, their sailing time or that they missed uh, an event or whatever which i apologize for and regret but that that was the past and that in actual fact that risk doesn't exist now i can't bottle and control social media but what i can do is we engage with social media we engage with the media you know i've never been shy of coming to speak to you and you've never been shy about holding my feet to the you know to the candle to the flames with difficult questions i've never said i've never asked for uh, advance information about what you want to talk to me about and I've always answered I think every question either sometimes in a political way around the houses like Billy Connolly and then come back hopefully to answering your question but always trying to answer that and I always will do so it's about being open being honest and sharing the realities I'm not being complacent I haven't got my head in the clouds I know we've got to re repair rebuild that trust and confidence with some of the people that you know, perhaps have made a, a view about liberation and many of the people that have got strong views have never sailed on her. The reason I know that is because many of the people that are very uh, assertive tell me that they've never been on her. So that's hard when somebody's telling you or other people how bad something is, but they've never actually been on her. But nevertheless, I accept they read the papers and they speak to people down the pub or in the shop. So um, uh, it's a long-term job. I've been there three and a half years, and from day one I've been trying to progress what I've just described. And I am a, a boy from the track. You know, and I'm very determined. I, I, I ran lots of marathons and half marathons, and I'm a bit big for being a marathon runner, but I, you know, I, I did. And I won't give up because I'm determined to try and at least you know, fix this because I think the, our ferry service is so vital for the people of Guernsey in Jersey. You know, we live on small remote islands nearer France and England. We need a, a, a reliable and a, a have confidence in our ferry firm. And 
Condor's 72 years old. It's a great company. Uh, it's now owned corporately rather than family owned, but it's still got family type attributes. And I'm determined to do my bit while I am have, have the chance to be in charge of Condor to make sure. And we're planning our centenary in 2047 already. Richard, you can come. You can, <laughs> be, you my, you can be my guest of honour. But we are planning. We have a plan for the centenary in 2047 to celebrate 100 years of Condor's history. Well, it's often said uh, Jersey is prioritised over Guernsey when designing the schedule. The schedule's just out, and uh, only six of the day trips to Jersey uh, this year give more than five hours when you take into account the check-ins uh, time. So, you know, how do you go about keeping everybody happy, and uh, well, very... especially from our point of view, people in Guernsey? Well, so very easily. Um, first of all, your assertion is completely and utterly wrong, Richard. I, I like you dearly, and you're wrong. Your assertion is, is absolutely wrong. There is not a jot of truth in the assertion that um, the schedule favours Jersey compared to Guernsey. It is complete and utter tosh. It is a nil-nil draw, or it's a 2-2 draw. The uh, interests and needs of both Guernsey and Jersey were equally um, considered when the schedule that we have now and the four-ship fleet uh, were calculated. Can I prove that to you? Give you some examples. Guernsey has more vessels coming through her, uh, uh, through the island, than uh, any other island. Um, uh, Liberation comes from Poole. She comes to Guernsey first. Tourists coming to the Channel Islands have a shorter three-hour trip to Guernsey than Jersey tourists coming from Poole. Uh, well, that's because have... of geography, though, isn't it? No, it's not. We could. We, what, what, you, you, oh, you, you could. No, no, no. Wait a minute. Yeah. You said that Jersey is favouring the schedule. It, yeah. I said it's tosh. Mm. We can go to Jersey first. We do sometimes go to Jersey first, but the core shed schedule is is pool to Guernsey to Jersey to Guernsey to pool. So Guernsey residents get the shorter trip going north because they get on the the, the, the last leg three hours. If if you're in Jersey, your trip is almost five hours because you're getting on board. People coming to the island, whether locals or tourists, come to Guernsey first. Now, I can't see how that's uh, worse than Jersey gets or that Jersey's been advantaged. It's not the case. Clipper, uh, our Ropax vessel, sort of passengers and freight, leaves Portsmouth at nine o'clock every morning. She comes to Guernsey first. That means passengers going on our slower vessel get to Guernsey first. Freight gets to Guernsey first and goes to Jersey second. Now, I just make the point, subject to tidal issues or operational issues, we will sometimes do what we call, we'll reverse, and we'll go to Jersey first. That's occasional, and it's done because of either tide or operational issues. Goodwill, our freight vessel. You never see it, Richard, because you're never up at three o'clock in the morning. Well, sometimes you might be going home (laughs) from Follies. But Goodwill leaves every night, Portsmouth at 7.30. Comes to Guernsey first. Comes to Guernsey at 3 o'clock, 3 till 4, discharges all of the freight, the fresh foods, the chilled foods for Waitrose, Marks and Spencers, for LaRiche, for Sandpiper, and all the other shops, Alliance, Tesco, I don't want to miss any any out. Um, so the, so our island retailers get their those goods first. It then goes to Jersey. What is it about all of that that, that remotely suggests that Jersey was favoured on the schedule? It is completely and utterly erroneous it's tosh now let's get to the cusp of it does jersey have a better southern route connectivity uh, in terms of ferry services than guernsey yes why jersey is an hour from st marlow and jersey by by the, the happen chance of geography 
receives far more visitors from France, from St. Malo, from France and from Europe because it's, the, it's a taste of England, the Channel Islands, and it's an hour away. It's not my fault or Condor's fault that people would probably say, well, if we can go to the Channel Islands, which one should we go to? Well, Jersey's an hour, Guernsey's two and a quarter hours. Um, which one should we go to? And many, will many people in Jersey have second homes in France. Why? It's an hour away. Some people in Guernsey have uh, second homes in France. If I said to you that the market size on the southern route is 83% to 85% are Jersey St. Marlowe, and 15 to 17% is Guernsey St. Marlow. And before any of your listeners say, well, that's because the schedule you put on. No, the company's 72 years old. We've been running 30, um, for 35 years high-speed craft. The schedule is the result of the market demand, not the other way around. It's not in my interest or Condor's interest to not serve Guernsey with more frequency if the market's there. Most of your listeners who travel a lot from Guernsey to St. Marlow will recognise that often the ship is considerably less than half full on the direct sailings. This is the direct sailings, not the ones that go through Jersey. I don't blame my fellow islanders in Guernsey for not using the service enough because I accept that we're 63,000 people and only so many people will want to go to. So I accept all that. But it's not the result of the schedule. The schedule is the result of the market demand. And I would put on more sailings tomorrow if there was a market, but there isn't. But what about uh, day trips? Because the, the main thing is... Should we deal with trips? that then? Yeah. Let's deal with that one because that's the next one. Because a lot more Jersey uh, Guernsey people go to Jersey than the other way around. I know a, a lot of people I've spoken to in Jersey have never been to Guernsey. So but that, the other way around certainly... So that's incorrect. Very important. So that's completely... I hope you, Richard, I hope we're not going to fall out. <laughs> and I don't mean to embarrass you live on... on no, please this do, is, please This do. isn't live, but uh, you know, you're asking me direct yeah. questions, which I love, and I can not give you my opinion i can mm. give you facts okay completely wrong erroneous it's not a case that more people uh, travel from guernsey to jersey or more people want to it is completely wrong uh, there are more people so so there are one hundred and seven thousand people in jersey there are sixty three thousand people in guernsey mm. and the movement over time if you go back it falls in the same ratio as two-thirds, one-third is, is, the, is the realities of Jersey-Guernsey. Perhaps it's more like almost moving towards three-quarters, one-quarter, because Jersey's population has increased, Jersey's economy has increased, and Guernsey's has stayed still. So just by the natural differences between Jersey sort of pursuing growth successfully and Guernsey, let's say, sort of st standing still a little bit, means that the bias even more so. So all I'm saying to you is it's not the case. You might think that more people want to go to Jersey than... Um, than people want to go from Jersey to Guernsey, but that's not the case by by fact. So the reason that there is a less good uh, level of day trips, full day, and, and let's talk about connectivity, then let's talk about full day trips, then let's talk, talk about part day day trips. The reason I say that is the islands, Guernsey and Jersey, and especially Guernsey, has brilliant inter-island connectivity. Liberation comes through. Uh, Guernsey to Jersey and then back through Jersey Guernsey every day during the summer and then obviously it, it depletes out through the autumn into the winter because you know, of, of weather and whatever. Brilliant connectivity. Clipper comes through Guernsey to Jersey and then off to the UK. So the connectivity, sorry, then Rapid comes and has a, a multi multiple of direct sailings with Guernsey St. Marlowe, Jersey St. Marlowe and via Jersey. So the connectivity to get between Guernsey and Jersey, Jersey Guernsey is actually excellent for Guernsey, a large village, and Jersey, a medium-sized town. It's excellent. But what people want is full-day day trips. What we have, Condor now has some part-day day trips and some full-day day trips, both 
Guernsey, Jersey, Jersey, Guernsey. But we don't purport to have a, a an offering uh, of, of that day trip service because when the fleet went from five ships to four, Richard, you you had one less ship that was kind of doing like the link piece. And I'll explain to you why that's not possible anymore. So we don't purport to be offering that. And in fact, Marshall was given um, uh, the subsidy uh, for the inter-island full-day day trip service. Um, Condor, along with seven other bodies, put in an expressions of interest to run that service. Condor didn't want to because we knew that it wasn't viable, sustainable. It would lose money and therefore it wouldn't continue. But um, in dialogue with um, uh Deputy Furbrush and, and Deputy Parkinson, uh, we agreed to do it uh, as a part of the overall service. We put in a bid. Of those nine people that put in an expressions of interest, Richard, all of them withdrew. All of them withdrew. Monshiel already had decided to put on some additional inter-island day trips before they won. They supposedly won the tender, but they were given a small subsidy. Monshiel, there, there is no restriction. Condor has no exclusivity on the inter-island. Anybody can do it. Now, we've got the Home Travel Trident, Sark, Sark Shipping, Alderney Shipping, the little, little ferry company. If there was a market for a full-day day trip service between the islands, and I'd like to I'd like to have it, Richard. I bet you would. Yes, absolutely. We could go yeah. off and have lunch and then come back or go and watch some sports. Port of France for the day, yes. Well, that, that's not inter-island. Well, no, that's, that's separate. That's another thing. That's but, separate. Yeah. But so, we'll come to that, but nevertheless. Yeah. Um, so it would be great, but there isn't a market there, and that's the trouble. Now, so Montchil, there's no exclusivity for Condor. We do what we can, which is, you, you were quoting a very small number of part days, and how could you say part days? For, we don't say that a part day day trip's a full day day trip. We've never said that. That's not in our marketing information. Mm -hmm. And we don't purport to have a strong intra-island day trip because we can't. The reason we can't is when we had five ships, so we had three, three high-speed craft, when Vitesse and Express got to a point where they were getting older and they were starting to become unreliable, and for the last two years of their life on the, on the routes... They had one engine down on each of them, pretty much. An evaluation was done, not by Condor, but by uh, an external body, Auxera, commissioned, I think, by the States of Jersey. It might have been in conjunction with Guernsey, I don't know. And that external report, which I'm happy to give you a link to, said that there was no, no way that a five-ship fleet was viable, sustainable, for any operator, Condor or anybody else, without some significant subsidy, uh, because the market size simply wasn't big enough. Why? A new ship costs between 55 million euros and 72 million euros. 55 for the conventional ship, 72 for the uh, high-speed craft. 72 million euros. It's a massive amount of money. Remember, for 168,000 people, smaller than Bournemouth. Guernsey's a large village. Jersey, a small, uh, a mid-sized town. And it simply wasn't sustainable. So when Vitesse and Express had to go, the company would have needed to find 140 million to replace those two ships. It simply wasn't viable. So we had to move from a five-ship fleet to a four-ship fleet. By doing that, one of the tangential ben benefits of having five ships which weren't viable was that we did ha have the ability to schedule things so that you could get these day trips that we're yeah. talking about. That's the thing that changed, Richard. Mm. But I want to be clear. So it's got nothing to do with Condor being mean or unreasonable. Guess how much you think a ship costs to run a year. Just give me a guess. Oh, goodness me. Go on, off you go. Give uh, me a guess. Million pounds? Five million to six million pounds a year is the cost, fuel, crew, all of the other costs. Mm. Not taking into account the nine million pounds a year that Condor pays to the states of Guernsey and states of Jersey for harbour dues, Richard. Mm. Nine million pounds that Condor pays 
to the states of Guernsey, states of Jersey, to Guernsey harbours, to ports of Jersey, harbour juice. Don't begrudge it. It's a lot of money. Mm. And that comes out of the fares that we charge. My point being is that there is massive capital cost to buy a ship that you can't justify. And you wouldn't get the loan from the bank if you and I went to buy a boat or, or a home. It just wouldn't happen. Five to six million pounds of operating costs every year to run that when you've got a market size that is just too small. It would be um, suicide for a company to undertake those commitments, but it wouldn't happen because no company would be able to justify those investments and, and the costs because neither their board or their, their, their lenders would, would, would go along with it because it makes no sense. So I accept that how it was when there was a five-ship fleet was great, but the thing is it wasn't viable, it wasn't sustainable. And when it came to replace those ships, I'm afraid the reality of those financials came to bear. Having said all that, Richard... I have presented to Deputy Parkinson in our discussions with him and Jersey, uh, his Jersey counterparts, around you know what we do with the next investment. You know the, the the next investment that we've got 55 million there ready to invest in the next vessel build. Um, around we could operate uh, as a I don't mean as a favour as a gesture, but we could operate a full day trip inter island service, full day day trip service, five six days a week. We could do a couple of direct day trips a week, Guernsey, St. Marlowe. We could do something with Alderney. It's all possible. But it would only only be, be uh, um, doable with some subsidy from government. And I'm not, I don't want to go to my government and say, can you subsidise this? Because I know our public finances, with, you know, the, the, the Chief Minister and, and, and PNR and the rest of the deputies are trying to get a balanced budget. So I think it's really difficult to ask government to subsidise something. But if the island really wants it or government really wants it, then then maybe it's a fair thing to do. But I don't want to ask for subsidy. But if you're saying give us regular or frequent full day day trips, it can be done, but not sustainably. And that's why none of the other ferry or, or boat companies have put on a service. Because why wouldn't they if the market's there, Richard? Well, Guernsey's entrepreneurial. We, we, we would do it. But I know why they don't, because they know that there isn't a market for it and they would lose money and they might jeopardize their core business. I hope that honestly gives gives you the answer to your question. Yeah, it does. It does uh, sort of yeah. It explains uh, obviously the logistic and commercial yeah situation with that. But now in November, the company was sold by Macquarie to a consortium of Columbia Threadneedle Investments and Brittany Ferries. Um, first, has all the regulatory scrutiny gone through with that, or is that still ongoing? And are there like to be any operational changes? Maybe a closer link with Brittany Ferries. So I hope so. Thanks, for that, Richard. I hope one day that you uh, and, and, and some of our other islanders might find space to say that Paul Luxembourg is not our cup of tea, but actually, you know, he's helped deliver a really good new owner of Condor Ferries, the island's uh, main ferry operator for both freight, passenger travel and tourism. I hope people will do because I'm really, really proud of, of, of that. There are lots of things in my career that I'm pleased about other things that obviously could have gone better. But actually, uh, this consortium, new owners of Condor, um, and, and I think that the, um, the, the, the complete deal will complete sort of in the next sort of four, six weeks, that sort of time. Um, it is going through the regulatory sign-off process, both of SICRA, the Channel Island Competition Regulatory Authority, but also the equivalent in Europe, the EU equivalent. Um, and the reason that that has to be made is because the minority shareholder, Brittany Ferries, are obviously a French company. So that's just a process. Um, all of those pre-notifications and submissions have been made. 
and they're just in that process of being um, uh, processed by each of those regulatory authorities. So, is that being affected by Brexit in any way? Zero, zero impact uh, about Brexit. Well, uh, other than it's possible that the EU uh, regulatory body, they may well be as swamped as many other government departments around the Brexit planning or the Brexit debate. But, but no, I, don't, I honestly don't think that there's any any implications in terms of. In fact, it's a a forty day response time from the date of the of the full and final submission of a, a of an application as such. So, so I think c- certainly um, over the next month or so, um, you know, we should be should be getting to a point where you know the the the, the deal will 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 finalise, um, and all all of the arrangements are complete. Um, but I'm really really pleased because. Columbia Thread Needle, Needle Investments is part of a 400 billion um, investment uh, entity around the world. So incredible strength. Um, the part of that, that massive global company that's actually invested is um, uh, they, they, they've set up their European Sustainable Infrastructure Fund. That's all about um, infrastructure assets. The great thing, Richard, is they buy them, they acquire assets forever. So it's not a private equity in for three to five years hack the business around a bit, uh, leverage it with some debt, sell at a premium using that sort of leverage debt on the way out, and then new people come in and, rather like the Manchester United purchased by the Glaziers all those years ago, they actually borrowed money, uh, they borrowed money uh, against the company's future earnings to actually help them buy the... Now, good luck to them, and private equity seems to work, but I, I'm, I'm not so keen on it myself. Uh, when you think about the company or the service, so not private equity, it's not a 10 or 12-year term... They invest forever. Well, as a small company, a regional ferry operator, a small regional ferry operator, we're making decisions on a 55, 72 million euro uh, ship build mm. for our new, next ships. So you need certainty. That's, that's for a long, mm. that's 25, 30 years. Well, our new owners, to be very shortly, they are only thinking about the long term. And what I will tell you is, you know, I obviously, I met them as part of the sale process, presented to them. They are very good people. They are Channel Island-like people. And they're very, very interested, very keen. They've made a decision to acquire the company. They're long-term. We're long-term. They want to invest in the business. We, you, the states of Guernsey, Deputy Parkinson and his committee have been incredibly engaged and constructive and supportive with me and my, my colleagues over the last 18 months to genuinely try and find the right conclusions going forward, along with Senator Farnham in Jersey. Uh, for which I thank them. But we all want the same thing, which is to have a really robust and resilient and appropriate ferry service for for islanders. But we can't. We can't have loads of ships and we can't have loads of sailings and we can't be doing the northern and the southern route and inter-island and direct front. Final part of your question, Brittany Ferries are a minority shareholder. Brittany Ferries is entirely separate to Condor Ferries. Brittany Ferries is owned by um, Breton Farmers uh, and, uh, and over there and they're not uh, part of Columbia and they're not part of Condor. Condors and, and, and Columbia aren't part of Britney Ferris, but Britney Ferris are a minority shareholder in this consortium that's come in. The great thing is, is that they are three times the size. If we just go by fleet size, they have 12 vessels, we have four. By the very nature, I would think that we could um, best practice compare with each other and I'd hope that there would be some good things that I can actually um, pick up from or, or plagiarise from Britney Ferris in collaboration but two separate companies, arm's length, they always will be. But I think we'll get some benefits that will actually help us. So so when I said early on in November, it's business as usual, some of the naysayers, some of the social media commentators, and some just, just people genuinely said, oh, well, 
we're not so sure we like the idea about change of ownership and, and it's you know, business as usual. I was trying to make the point, business as usual, freight coming in three till four every morning to supply the shops, um, tourist, tourist services, island to travel. What I meant was business as usual and that the people in the business, my, my colleagues, the 500 people, I needed them to know that actually, you know, that their jobs were, were, were safe, weren't going to change, that it was business as normal in that sense. But we're, we are in the middle of a significant business improvement and transformation plan. I didn't join the company three and a half years ago to just kind of loll about and just sort of say, look, everything's fine. I've been working 70-hour weeks for the last three and a half years. That's true. My wife and daughter will tell you. My dogs will tell you, if you can talk uh, animal talk, Richard. <laughs> um, but I do that because I, I love – I really enjoy a challenge and I love work. And I do it because actually I think it's important because I, I know how important it is for us to have a, a great ferry service. So I'm really, really committed to it. My, my, my colleagues are really committed to it. But what I meant was business as usual, but business as usual on an improving curve, trying to do more, trying to do better, trying to finalize with Guernsey and Jersey the next investment and the next ship build. We have £55 million available there sat to invest in the next ship. We have two projects that are significantly underway that we've invested. It will be six figures now in, in, in the initial designs and drafts. So we're not sat on our hands, but we can't do anything until we come to a conclusion with the States of Guernsey, States of Jersey, through the Committee of Economic Development, uh, President Parkinson's Committee and Senator Farnham in Jersey. And by the way, everybody's aligned to that, but you know, it, it, it bringing the political piece together and whatever is difficult. Uh, so the answer is, as things are in the current operating agreement, we would be looking to replace repeat more or less now, just as being the next cycle. But there is conversation about should we replace Goodwill earlier with a, a Ropex? So should we take our freight only ship, freight only ship, and create a Clipper, Clipper 2, which has both freight and passengers to give more resilience? Should we do that and defer replacing repeat? by spending more money on repeat to look after her, to nurture her, to make sure we don't have any any sort of service Im impact. There's a whole lot of other permutations, which we're working in a very constructive way. And I thank Deputy Parkinson and his committee because massive progress in terms of the dialogue and, and, and trying to come to a conclusion in a tripartite way with Jersey and, and Condor. And, and we genuinely are, are trying to move that forward. And, and, and I believe that what we'll come up with a conclusion and that conclusion will be good news for, for, for islanders in, in, in both islands, I honestly believe, and, and tourists. So just finally, on a lighter note, what, what do you do to relax and get away from it all? I mean, the, there can't be much time if you're working 70-hour weeks, but when you do? Well, or Richard, um, have you heard about GDPR? I have. Well, you, you could be breaching my GDPR rights by asking <laughs> me very personal <laughs> questions. Um, when I wake up breathing every morning, I think that's a really good start to the day. Some of my colleagues at work, sort of have got used to my um, uh, sort of quasi jokes and I tell people that every morning for breakfast I have a Mars bar and a can of Red Bull the reason I tell them that is because most people think I'm slightly hyper it's just DNA it's got nothing to do with any any substance so but I use the point so I do have lots of energy uh, uh, both mentally and I'm sorry uh, that doesn't mean that I, I make good decisions or that I uh, you know, um, should be thought of in a positive way because lots of people on social media and some of your listeners will be saying we don't like that bloke he we don't like what he's saying and I respect that you know it's opinions um, but I do like I love work so um, uh, you know I, I, I it's fair to say I've got gray hair now I haven't got black hair Richard as you'll know um, so I am sort of getting older but I've got 
uh, I love my family. I was a, um, a late dad, so I've got a 16-year-old daughter who um, uh, gives me a immense, immense pride and, and, and um, pleasure in terms of just you know, spending time with her. Two black lab- Labradors, three and a half years old. One thing I'll tell you, Richard, I feed them. Uh, I get up very early in the morning and I'll take them for a walk actually through the lanes of St. Martin's, often in my pyjamas with an overcoat on. So you ask the question, I'm being honest. <laughs> I feed them and I've worked out that the amount of dog deposit that I pick up from my two Labradors, when I weigh the food that I give them, I'm picking up more weight of their, their, their deposits than the, the weight of the food I give them. I don't know how that's happening. Somewhere in the middle, something's happening. Uh, so that's good exercise. I don't need to go to the gym because I'm, I'm carting all that stuff around. And my family um, did something really, really wonderful for Christmas. Um, I, I, I've always been a motorbike rider from 14. I've fallen off quite a few times as well, as, as some of my friends would tell you. Um, but I haven't had a motorbike for about 15 years, uh, more or less the time that my daughter's been around because I just didn't have time. And um, every Christmas and birthday, my family say, well, what would you like for, you know, for Christmas or birthday? And I'd all say, Look, I don't really want anything. I've got what I want. Uh, and I would say jokingly, because I love the colour purple and I miss not having a motorbike, I'd say a purple motorbike. Family joke. This, uh, this Christmas, uh, without me knowing, uh, my, my family, my wife and my daughter um, delivered a, not a purple motorbike, but a beautiful Kawasaki green motorbike. So I'm back, back on my motorbike riding and I've been a very happy man since the 23rd of December because uh, I've been out on, on a motorbike again. But uh, really not in your pyjamas. Uh, I'd like to say no, but I've got a feeling I may actually have moved it one morning uh, in them, but uh, with my leather jacket on as well. Anyway, I, I've now conjured up a, a very di- difficult image for an image. <laughs> but anyway, but I just love life is what I do with my private time. I really love life. It's it, it, it throws it throws its problems your way, and life's not always easy. Um, but I, I just kind of think it's we live in a fantastic place. I, I, I think of myself as a Channel Islander, as a Guernseyman, uh, and I just think we're incredibly lucky. And I just wish we'd maybe all see the glass slightly more half full rather than half empty. Paul Luxon, thank you very much for joining us. You've been listening to the In-Depth Podcast with Richard Harding.